Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cape, the Cape Sports Now podcast. Today is Monday, January 7th, 2019, and as always, I'm joined by Matt Goisman. Matt? Hi. And first Monday show of the, uh, of the new year. Finally yeah, right. back to a normal schedule. This is a bit of a short week. I was saying that earlier, kind of like an NFL schedule. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, kind of going from, uh, from, the third, from the Monday game to the Sunday yeah, game. Yeah, we're back bit. to Mondays now, and actually with this show, we're going to have a little special guest today. Absolutely. So we're for the second time in this program's history, we're going to have a coach call in. Hopefully it'll work. Uh, it is Jim Pignato, the Nantucket swim and dive coach. Nantucket Whalers obviously coming off another sweep in the Cape Cod Classic swim meet. That is the biggest local swim uh, meet of the year. Uh, it's all six local teams, which is Barnstable, Nauset, Nantucket, uh, Sandwich, uh, St. John Paul, and Martha's Vineyard. Nantucket won it again. They've swept it, boys and girls, for the fourth consecutive year. The girls are actually the five-time defending champions now. So he'll join us shortly. Uh, but before that, we'll get into. You want to just get into basketball, and then uh, yeah, sure, sure. Well, we can start with that. We'll yeah, so we'll probably in. have to interrupt our conversation in the middle, and then we'll get back to it afterwards. But uh, it's we're trying to bring in more people on the show and have other voices, and and really hear from the community as much as we like to listen to ourselves talk. Uh, so, you know, on Friday I was at Falmouth for uh, the first Atlantic Coast League boys basketball game between Dennis Yarmouth and Falmouth. That was the ACL opener for both teams. D.Y. won that game. It was a very, very close game. D.Y.'s on a three-game winning streak now, and, and I think they're feeling at least pretty good after wins against Plymouth South and then at Falmouth, which they hadn't done in four or five years, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going against Falmouth has kind of been notorious as a defensive team. It's a nice effort by D.Y. and really just kind of setting, setting the tone early mm -hmm. in the season. I mean, clearly these teams are going to play again, and, oh, yeah. and you're going to have a lot of other close matchups, but... Certainly a good start. I mean, um, you saw saw Cam Tauber especially step up in that oh, game. Yeah. Uh, 15 points on all, all five of them from three-pointers. Including so. the key one real late in the right. fourth quarter. Nice to see kind of that secondary player to to Logan Grosick be able to step up and kind of make plays like that. Absolutely. You know, and he was coming off a 10-point game against Plymouth South earlier in the week, nine against Rockland. He's had 10 three-pointers in his last three games. You know, we mentioned Grosick. I actually thought he got out-muscled a little bit at, in, with Falmouth. A lot of the times he was going against either Cam Dunbury, who is much taller than him, or Kyle Cardoza, who is a defensive end for the Falmouth football team. He's still working his way back from a knee injury during football season, but he's an incredibly big, strong guy. So my guess is those guys are going to out-muscle a lot of people. But if that keeps happening with Grosek, then they're going to need to be a three-point shooting team, and you may need to see guys like... Taubert, like Alex Stowe, uh, Darian Thompson, Jaquan Phillips, guys like that step up and replace the scoring because Grosek, you may be looking at a guy who will get your rebounds, but maybe only eight to 10 points a game. Right. But like anything in basketball, look, it's all about making that extra pass and finding the best shot. And as much balance as you can have to that offense is going to be a compliment to DY. And of course, holding on to the basketball. Absolutely. Is, yeah. is especially key. You know, a couple of key turnovers late in that game and it, Falmouth doesn't commit them. Maybe they they win the game or at least send it to overtime. But you mm -hmm. know, uh, backcourt violation on an overpass that 
that really was what the difference in that game was. Right. But on Falmouth, a kid who really impressed me was Anthony Carson, who is kind of turned into this real consistent fusion guard slash forward. He was on the varsity last year, did not get a ton of playing time. But this year, he's been really, really consistent. He can rebound well. He's a good shooter. He's really good at backdoor cuts. What I've seen a lot of with him is his ability to slip behind defenses, Mm -hmm. catch lob lob passes over everybody. I could see D.Y. coach Dante Phillips getting frustrated that his team couldn't keep track of this kid. And if he can be that balance with Duke Melton, and then we'll see if as, as the forwards and centers get healthier, uh, that could be the, what Falmouth needs to kind of get its season going. They've been a little sluggish to start. They've also played some really, you know, tough teams. Right. Uh, another uh, ACL team I want to discuss, Nasset as well, off to six and one start. And it's been a bit of a, uh, I guess we'll say rocky stretch for them. I mean, they Even lost. Nantuck- six and one, but yeah. Right, right. But I mean, coming off the Nantucket loss, they were trailing Monomoy at halftime Friday. They finally got it together in the second right. half, pulled away for the win, but. Yeah, definitely uh, not the best way heading into a game against Marshall, a very talented team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like like uh, like we were just talking about, the physicality and the speed of, of ACL contests are typically a lot better than some of the teams Nasset's been seeing earlier in the year. So kind of waiting to see how, how this team responds. Absolutely. Um, I really I did like the uh, balance the Warriors showed, though, in that game against Monomoy. You know, as we said, Monomoy and Nantucket, they're both D4 teams. Nasset is D2, so that is... A little concerning that they've had some trouble with schools that are smaller than them, and, and you'd think they should be able to beat those. But against Monomoy, you had Henry Blanchard and Spencer Jones both score 11. Abdel Talabi scored 10. Bobby Joy, 9. Johnny McCarthy, 7. Liam O'Hara, 6. If all of those guys can score like three more points per game uh, and maintain that distribution, then I think they'll be okay uh, in ACL play. But I'm not totally sure numbers like that are really going to work against some of the high-scoring teams like DY, like Falmouth, possibly like Marshfield. We'll see kind of – Marshfield is going to play a lot of ACL schools in the next week, and we'll see kind of how they really stack up. And you're going to have to give Monomoy some credit too because that's another team that really plays tremendous defense oh, yeah. and prides itself on its defense. So that's not necessarily – we don't want to knock on Monomoy. For no, not at all. winning that game, certainly give them credit for holding down a, a high-powered Nasset offense the yeah. way they did. And they've been challenging schools that are higher division than them all season. I mean, against Barnstable, a D1 school, they lost by, I think, a point and definitely had a chance to win that game. You know, so with small schools – your record against small schools kind of matters more than your record against like high division schools. There's all these exclusion rules with the MIAA, so they could definitely figure that out. Right. Um, I think we're setting up that. And I think we've got our call from Coach Bernardo right. coming in. Uh, give us one second to sort that out. Coach, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thanks for joining uh, K Sports Now. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So the first question I've got is, was it nice to actually have the Cape Cod Classic take place on the day it was scheduled? Because I feel like each of the last couple of years, it's had to be postponed at least once, sometimes a day, sometimes like three weeks. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's nice to actually set a schedule and have it happen as it should. Um, But that's what we get for uh, living out on an island. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, obviously, Coach, uh, this uh, this is Steve, by the way. Um, You know, you're coming up your best season ever, both for the boys and, and really the combined program. You know, when you saw how many kids were coming back from last year's team, did that raise your hopes and expectations coming into this season? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of a tale of two stories right now for us. Though. On the boys' side, um, that's definitely my feelings coming into this 
season, kind of looking down the pike here and seeing what we still had left with our program and kind of what we gained from that freshman class coming in. Um, it really set us up for a, a really fun season, and it's proven to be that so far. Uh, on the girls' side, it's a little bit different. Um, we lost a very talented uh, uh, graduating class last year, so we were very undefined as we came into the season, but these girls have really stepped up and kind of have continued to carry um, on this kind of winning tradition that we've created. With that, um, with that different personnel on the girls' side and with the just kind of physical growth of the more of the returners on the boys' side, are there some ways where you feel like each team, the boys and the girls, they're, they're superior to last year's teams that both did so well at State? Um, I would say that's um, more true on the boys' side, um, but still that's still an unknown for us right now. Um, the girls had the potential to be a little bit more superior than what we were last year, mm-hmm. um, but that's still very much an unknown, and we, there's still a lot of swimming left to do to kind of establish who we really are as a team on the girls. What's the atmosphere like at the Classic when you kind of bring all these programs together under one roof and um, especially on a weekend, you know, people might have some more time to get to the island. Just what's it like inside inside the uh, the natatorium there? <laughs> uh, for, for some meets, um, it's it's a great it's a great location to host me. Once once we get teams here, of course, mm-hmm. um, kind of cr- crossing the sound is always a, a a daunting task at times. Right. But once we're here, um, the facility's great. It's nice and loud. Um, big, some nice natural lighting. Um, a meet like yesterday when we. We had over 200 swimmers on deck. Makes it for a little tight, but um, <laughs> it's all well and good, and we, and we get it in. Um, but yeah, for dual meets, um, it, it's really we can get a really loud, fun environment going. I feel I'm. I would assume that that gets amplified even more that environment quality when you've got fans and parents from six different teams all in there. I mean, cheering on their kids. I'm, do these? Do the teams that take the ferry over? Do they tend to bring a good cheering section with them? Uh, certain things do definitely. Um, I think yesterday we were a little, probably a little bit light on visiting uh, fans coming over. Um, we do see that though more in our dual meets. Um, mm. A lot of these teams do travel with a good contingency, so it's it's nice to kind of get a mix up there um, and see a lot of parents supporting both sides. Now that the classic is over, you start looking towards the Bay Colony Conference meet. I think the Bay Colony Conference diving meet is coming up real soon, and then you've got sectionals. So as you sort of enter this, I would almost call it second half of the regular season, what are kind of the priorities for the boys and the girls' teams? Uh, priority number one, and it's been priority number one since the beginning of the season, is to just maximize how many postseason qualifiers we can get in. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this being at the kind of the halfway point, those um, opportunities have been cut in half. So every time the message to the kids is every time they have a lane, they have an opportunity to race and they have an opportunity to qualify. So they can't pass it up um, just because maybe a competition isn't quite there or it's a midweek meet and we're traveling. Um, we got to seize every moment that, that these guys are given um, to, to maximize our postseason roster. What's the, uh, what do you think the big thing of growing this program is to be? I know you guys always pack really good numbers each year and, and I'm sure at the youth level, Things are strong there, but what have you been able to do to kind of bolster the numbers and, and keep year in and year out, keep getting new swimmers that keeps you know putting the talent at that high level? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a difficult task out here. We have a very finite group of um, obviously student population that we can pull from. Um, on the club level out here, we have to grow and cultivate every single swimmer that we see. We're not getting influxes from other clubs. Um, kids 
concerns driving around um, who are who are at our high school and swimming for other other clubs. So we really have to make sure we're doing a good job on that middle school level and even the elementary school level, um, starting these kids young, starting them with um, as many numbers as we possibly can um, fit in the pool at that kind of grade three, four, and five. And then as they come through our program, hopefully half or 25% are sticking with it, um, or and then we can kind of grab them on that high school level. Um, it's There's probably a 60 to 70% um, of our high school team does swim club for us out here. Um, so that other 30%, we're always really good at kind of finding some some athletes out here. We just create them in, into swimmers in the in the 10 weeks that we see them. Is it just one of those things where like success kind of breeds success, where they see the how well the team is doing, how some of these individuals are, and it kind of draws more people into it? Yeah, it definitely uh, agrees with that. Um, and also, too, just we create that fun environment, too. It's it, we, we work really hard at practice, but we're not always focused on that kind of hard work. We try to create um, a good, positive learning environment for the kids to have fun and, and to, to work hard at the same time. You mentioned building kids up from a young age and really, like, getting them interested in it at the elementary school level. Once they get to high school, obviously, they need to keep developing. Is there anybody on either the boys or the girls team that you really think has made a big improvement from last year to this year, and that's led to this, you know, continued success? Um, I mean, I, I would look towards Tyler Rafke as kind of setting this bar for mm-hmm. us. Um, obviously, he's been a name that's been um, very popular for us over the past few years, um, being our first state champion yep. um, as, a, as a sophomore last year. Um, we had a conversation probably about three years ago with Tyler just being like, what's your trajectory of your swim career? What do you want this to look like for yourself? And from there, we created um, a plan where he needed, he was a great, he was a great swimmer, but he lacked some athleticism. So we wanted to make sure we were building that athleticism outside the pool as well. So he he got got on this program and a lot of some of his buddies now have kind of joined in on that. So we're kind of creating this environment where it's like, we're not just swimming in the pool, but we're also trying to become athletes as well. So you don't have it on some like kind of TB12 method. It's probably more like dry land and this kind of stuff like that. Weights is that what kind of more you were mentioning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dry land training. Um, definitely some plyometric training. I would, I would love to be associated with some TB12 um, <laughs> <laughs> um, philosophies. I think that uh, re- plays really well with the sport of swimming in terms of like pliability and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Sure. I- I think that's most of our questions. Maybe my last one is just talking about Tyler. I remember talking to you and him after he won state last year, and you both talked about how much he wants to be a Division One swimmer in college, you know, and go to a good program. I think one of you mentioned like Michigan or something like that. Is there any update on that? On on team show, our team showing interest in him? Is he close to verbally commit? You know, uh, is there anything with that? Uh, we're not close to verbally com- uh, committing anywhere yet. This is the time of the year that he really needs to just speak with his swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get through states um, with him before we even kind of start considering kind of narrowing down his list for him. He definitely has a long list. Um, some schools he shared with me, some he hasn't, um, which is all good. But yeah, I think he's just trying to focus in on making sure his times are where they need to be mm-hmm. so these big schools will recognize him. Um, we're still a little bit off from that, but again, he has a few opportunities at, at the state level 
come uh, February, and then there's a, a pretty significant meet um, at the end of March that will really be kind of a, a good barometer for him. Very good, Coach. I think that I do. Thanks so much for talking to us today, uh, and congrats on another win in the Cape Cod Classic. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. All right, that was Nantucket swim coach Jim Bignato. Yeah, certainly it's been a, one of the better programs. You've seen them a few times. I think you went up to Boston last year to see them. Uh, uh, it was like two or three or years, two ago, years, but years yeah. ago. Yeah, I mean, you've seen that program in action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just unbelievable the depth that they're able to carry. And, and what they're able to get out of, you know, they are not at state at the state meet I covered. They were not the biggest school mm-hmm. in total numbers. You know, they have to get their points from a very small group of kids qualifying in multiple events and then condition them well enough to be able to be elite in multiple events. You know, Tyler, he talked about, Tyler didn't just win state in one event. He was, like, top five in another, and he set a couple of records with the relay teams, and all of the kids on their team, Taffy, Beeb, all of them have to be able to do that, Uh, and it's the same on the girls' side, Uh, and that's what I think is the most impressive thing about the Nantucket Swim Program is that it's not huge. It doesn't have, it doesn't need a swimmer to only be able to be elite in one event unless he's a, like a diver or something, mm-hmm. they have to be able to swim three or four events every time and swim them all really competitively. Right. So we'll be seeing, we'll be following Nantucket as that uh, season progresses there. I want to jump back into basketball real sure. quickly though, real quickly uh, and go talk to the girls' side. Girl side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mashby again, we seem to talk about them every week and for good reason. After, the best uh, record on the Cape. Yeah, after Eight an 8-1 one. start. Uh, another, and they really had to battle for it too. It's not like they're really blowing teams out. They just had another close South Shore League win. Cohasset a week ago. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you you definitely feel better when you win close games like that than losing Mm -hmm. them. But either way, it shows that, well, one, they can win those close games, but also, two, nothing's going to be given to them. So this team's going to stay motivated, I think, throughout the year to keep fighting and knowing no one's going to give them anything. Exactly. And, you know, Cohasset is a team they could, for instance, see in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And every team you face in the playoffs, for the most part, is going to give you a battle. So it's good to be able to be mentally strong enough to stay in these games that are going to be close and that you're going to have to play for four quarters. You're not, this isn't going to be like that Nantucket Sturgis West game I covered a couple of days ago where you're up by 45 and can sit your starters Mm -hmm. after two periods. You know, you need your players to be physically and mentally strong enough to play four quarters. And this was a good sign that they can do that. You know, the offense, it's the same kids we always mention, Ashley Kelleher, 19 points. She's up to 118 uh, points in nine games. And then you have uh, Amaya Peters, 15 points. That's where their points have come from all year. It's where I expect their points will continue to come from all year. They're home to face Westport tonight. They're, that's a wet team that's just one and three. So we'll see if the Falcons can uh, get to nine wins before the end of the first week of January, mm-hmm. which would be pretty impressive. Absolutely, and right on the edge of clinching a tournament spot. I'm yeah. Not entirely sure how many games Mashby plays this yeah, year. Yeah, I don't know if they have 18 or 20, uh, but it could get them in, and if they win and they it doesn't get them in. They 18, they'd clinch already. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if it's 18, yeah, this win would get them in. Right, but, right. Uh, uh And then, meanwhile, in the ACL, which we're, we talked a lot about just because this is kind of the first week of the ACL season, and, and it's mostly Cape teams, Right now, I'm kind of seeing a three-way race for who I think is going to win the ACL title. Falmouth girls are four and one; they're on a four-game winning streak. Sandwich uh, are are three and two; they've won two in a row. Nasa girls are three and three; they haven't started ACL play yet. But I never want to count out a team that made the South Sectional Finals the year before and basically is the same team this year. 
Uh, Falmouth and Sandwich, they both won their ACL openers. Nosset, they start it uh, Tuesday at Marshfield. With uh, Falmouth, the t- girl who's really, I think, playing extremely well for them is Kayla Thomas. 14.2 points per game, really uh, kind of taking over that offense. Sandwich doesn't have one player who's kind of doing the same thing. They're kind of getting their points from a split between three of Callie Sorensen, Leah Mahoney, and Sarah Lutzik, who are all good for somewhere between, you know, five and a half and seven and a half, eight points per game. So it's kind of one person that can really take over or three that are distributed, but no one is going to maybe put up amazing numbers, although they've all cracked double digits plenty of times. Tuesday night, sandwiches at Falmouth. So we're going to see which of these strategies works better. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing with sandwich I've noticed is that it's almost like the girls' soccer team. You never quite know what mm-hmm. kind of effort you're going to get. Some nights they look really strong and other yep. nights not so much. Against Falmouth, it also plays really good defense. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a struggle and in a low-scoring game. You never know what's going to happen. But I think Falmouth at home makes a few more plays in that one. But like you said, though, I don't think you can count on Nosset. And if I had to put one and two, I would say Falmouth and Nosset are, are right there. I would I think probably are, think so, too. Right. I mean, just given the battles that those two teams had last year. Mm-hmm. And, and Nosset, you know, the, the record's a bit deceiving. They go and play some pretty big schools oh, yeah. in, in non-conference at the beginning of the year. I mean, they played, They're up in Lowell, I think, or something like that. Lowell, I, they played, I think, Coyle Cassidy, right. which is the defending state champion right. and has beaten several Cape teams by a lot more than they beat Nasa, which they needed a, a, a half-court shot at the buzzer to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I only hesitated to um, not put them as the favorite just because I haven't seen them in the ACL yet. But, yeah, I think when Falmouth and Nasa play, those two games will probably decide the ACL final standings. Absolutely. Uh, switch over to hockey, shall we? Yeah. All right. It. Speaking of ACL teams and going right back to Falmouth, what an interesting week for the Clippers. They're 3-3 three and three now. They, they actually started Wednesday. It almost went the reverse of what we thought mm-hmm. was going to happen. They fell 4-1 to one to a 2-5 and five Beverly Danvers team that's allowed 52 goals this season. So, <laughs> you know, a bit disappointing there. But, you know, they followed it up with a massive 4-2 road win at DY for the mm-hmm. second straight year. And that definitely steers the conversation oh, yeah. of who's the better team. I mean, to be fair, the same thing happened last year. Falmouth won at DY that's and then true. DY won at Falmouth. So is a good chance that could happen again mm-hmm. this year. So, I mean, this certainly isn't over yet, but certainly impressed by freshman, a Falmouth freshman Sam McKenzie scored a pair of goals against DY. Mm-hmm. She's really stepped up in big games, Sam McKenzie, this year. Played well against Barnstable. Um, ju- junior goalie, Sheila Sisters, looked strong in net. And uh, the first goal actually came shorthanded for Falmouth. So being able to, to use that special teams unit to produce offense is, is not easy, especially since DY sticks out some of their, their best line on the power play. Mm-hmm with uh, Kayla and Ava McGaffigan, for example. But um, get a lot of credit to veteran players Jackie Tolino and, and Hannah Toby. Mm-hmm. They both scored, and they both provide that senior leadership and you know face and probably telling the young players, hey, look, there's no reason why you can't win this game. We did it last year, and we can do it again, and that's what they did. Uh, huge credit to Matty Robichaud, Kate Brody, and Abby Roman. They all did a nice job of locking down DOA's offense, which, like I said, you, know, you keep it to two scores or less, you're going to have a shot against this oh, team. Yeah. And I think we saw that a lot last year. So, um, you know, we'll see what, where DY goes moving forward. I think uh, at the high school level, if you can keep the other team to two goals, no matter what the team is, you're going to have a chance. You right. Know? There aren't a ton of, like, 1-0 games in high school hockey. So, mm-hmm. But now we get to see if the young Falmouth team can keep it rolling. The one thing we've seen is uh, can they play well one game and then they maybe they take a step back the next. Absolutely. But they have a good opportunity. They're hosting Sandwich at 7 p.m. Wednesday. 
And then they're at Windless, Nasa Cape Tech Monomoy. That's a Cape Cod Furies. Yep. That's at 4 p.m. Saturday in Orleans. So a couple wins there by Falmouth could really set the, the Clippers up in a nice position, make a run at that league title. Absolutely. You know, D.Y., they started off really well. They beat King Phillip 3-1. That was a, finished a season sweep for them. Ava McGaffey and the two goals in that game. And then they lose to Falmouth and probably were pretty upset after that one. You know, it's a minor speed bump. They'll see Falmouth again. But you do have to wonder about kind of a lack of depth on that team, about maybe how many kids on that roster have converted over. You know, the McGaffigans were very good field hockey players, and mm-hmm. they've made the switch to ice hockey really quickly. I'd be curious how much of that roster falls into that same category, but is still trying to figure out the new season a little bit. Yeah, I mean, typically this team hovers around 16 players, and I mean, all it takes is a couple players to go down with some sort of injury or sickness, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you're you're switching up lines, and right. and people are in positions they're not used to, so it's definitely the, the one risk, but I, I still think the Dolphins can make a run at things. I mean, it's really similar to what they were going through last year, mm-hmm. and I, I think this team, when it comes playoff time again, I think they'll have that experience under them and know that hey, we've done this before. This isn't a big deal. We're just going to go out there and play the best we can. Sure. Uh, first, uh, they they got a week to you know focus back uh, on that. They're going to play out sandwich on Saturday. That's a team they handled pretty well in the preseason during a scrimmage. So mm-hmm. I, I would expect D.Y. to bounce back with a win um, against a really young sandwich team, which, you know, give Sandwich some credit. They they, they, they put up 11 goals against a, you know, a young, really young Marshfield team. Mm-hmm. But just to, to get some of that confidence for that group, that was just nice to see them go out and get a nice win like that. So, um, Just another couple of girls' hockey notes. So we met them the Furies. They're going to host Marshfield on Wednesday, looking yep. for their first win. I think this is a really good chance for the Furies, who have they've shown some bright spots at time. It's not like they're getting completely routed. I mean, they lost to Barnes before nothing, I think. Mm-hmm. Hung in there with, I think, a scoreless first period. So um, there's some talent on that group, and, and hopefully for them they can pull it together and get their first win. Um, and then Barnstable real quickly bounced back from a 6-5 loss to Bishop Stang and with that 4 nothing shutout win. Big confidence booster Lisa Alto, who we've talked about on the show, I think really needed a shutout effort. It didn't matter who it was against. Yeah. <laughs> just to get back on track and give Barnstable some faith that, all right, we're, our goalie situation is, is stable for now, but certainly we'll see how that goes moving forward. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on the boys' side, uh, with all respect to, to Falmouth, who looked really good in their win against D.Y., it seems like Upper Cape may be early play for being the best team on the Cape right now. Uh, they are eight and one, and they're coming off a game that a win in a game that you thought was going to be a really big test for them, and you were totally right. Uh, they beat uh, Mashpee Monomoy two one. Uh, possible like preview of the D three sectional tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Upper Cape was going against the best goalie that that's going to see maybe all year. That's I mean, Jack Dano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jano played well again. I mean, you look at the two goalies. I mean, Dano made forty three stops and was only outplayed by Upper Cape goalie Will Hanley, who made 44. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, just a tremendous effort of bombardment of shots. To see that many shots on goal mm-hmm. and only three goals combined out of it, I mean, that's that's really impressive by both goaltenders. And really, neither of them has anything to be ashamed of. I mean, that game was close. Upper Cape scored early in that one. And then uh, Mashby Monomoy tied it with about four minutes left. And then Upper Cape, two minutes later, gets a goal from uh, Joey McCardle. Joey McCardle, yeah, both goals, right, yeah. both of them. So... Um, just a great week for Upper Cape. They're eight and one now. Uh, Kevin Flynn had five goals and a win over Tri County um, earlier in the week. So you know we'll see if they can keep that going. Definitely a big week. Two road games for the Rams. Mm-hmm. They're going to be at Blue Hills on Wednesday, and then they're at uh, they're going to be in Canton 
at 8, uh, 8.20 p.m. Saturday for a rematch against Southeastern. Uh, oh, excuse me. That game's in medium rain. And the Blue Hills game's going to be in Canton. There we go. <laughs> um, Southeastern. some of those. Yeah, Southeastern's the only team that beat the Rams this year, and uh, that was a 4 nothing final. So. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly a good opportunity for the Rams to kind of strike back. For sure. I think Southeastern is a bit of a bigger school, so that maybe plays a little bit. But mm-hmm. I, I think this Upper Cape team is absolutely a team that could to get revenge right. on that. Another team that's playing really well and did not get off to a good start but has turned it around quite nicely is Barnstable Boys. They are now 5-2. and two. They're on a four-game winning streak. You know, they're, I'm sure they're already starting to think about their game against Falmouth on the 19th, you know, which is a week from uh, Saturday. Those games are always massive, and you want to be feeling as good about yourself as you possibly can going into them because they're always close and they're always crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I said it last week, and the fact that both of these teams are around the same record and mm-hmm. both winning, yeah, that's a really good sign that, that – this could go either way, mm-hmm. and but we don't want to get too far ahead. And I'm sure the coaches are reminding their athletes, "Hey, we still got other games we got to play." <laughs> heading up into that, but a good start for Barnstable in the new year. The five-one win over Coyle Cassidy, uh, followed by a three-nothing win over Bridgewater Raynham, which was pretty noteworthy for uh, for goaltender uh, Eddie Donovan. He two years ago played for Bridgewater Raynham, mm-hmm. transferred in, and I think is really starting to take that spot as number one goalie over Connor Higgins. Certainly, the contest isn't over yet. You know, if his play slack, you know, slacks, then then Higgins is going to go in. But um, just probably cool for Eddie to get to get a win over his old team. And um, definitely, I don't know if there's a little bit of giving some of his old buddies <laughs> maybe giving him a hard time. Probably. But, um, but yeah, really impressed with Jack Rodier. I mentioned him on the show last week. He only has four goals, but those nine assists have been really, really big. He's been feeding that line, that top line, nicely for 13 points total. So. Uh, Barnesville should be able to handle D.Y. That's their next game on Wednesday yeah. at home. And then they visit Archbishop Williams. That's a team that was very physical against Falmouth, ended up playing to a last-second 3-3 tie. So if Barnesville can go on the road and it just get at least a point, mm-hmm. make it a three-point week, I think that bodes well going forward. But certainly a win over Archbishop Williams would have them feeling that really confident. That would be confident. massive. It would have them feeling really confident you know, heading into um, you know, Falmouth week. Yeah, D.Y., I mean, Falmouth beat them 10-1. to uh, D.Y. is struggled this season so i think that's definitely a winnable game for a barnstable uh, barnstable absolutely um and then i want to mention st john paul too they've also won four straight um really hitting their stride after losing the sacred heart in their in their jp2 classic tournament opener so sgp's outscored opponents 18 to 6 in that span um those closest 4-3 win over brockton over the weekend you know the guys kind of came through that top line of joey manning jack richard will delman mm-hmm. they really make a strong top line and when they get going, that's a tough team to stop. And combine that with outstanding goaltending from Henry Klim, um, you know this is this is a Lions team that they're. And I wrote about this in a, in a feature on Henry Klim last week. Is that this team hasn't forgotten losing in the first round last year, and and they they don't want to overlook anybody. They want to keep surging forward and and make it as far as they can in the tournament. Absolutely. Their game this week, they got St. Joseph Prep four and four game. That's at five thirty Saturday uh, at Hyannis Youth and Community Center. These teams split last year. St. Joseph Prep, they play a tough schedule. Lowell, Newton South, Holliston. They played Lowell Catholic to a close 3-2 final. St. Joseph Prep is a rival of St. John Paul in football. They're both in that Catholic Central small conference. Uh, So good test for them. It's their only game, so they should have plenty of time to both prep for it and recover after it. And we'll see kind of if they can keep this going. Absolutely. 
Just a couple other notes. Sandwich finally suffered its first official loss. I mean, they yeah. had one to Barnstable that's excluded, but I was a five nothing loss to Marshfield. Marshfield clearly a very very dominant team. You know, after making it to the uh, to the D one state final last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Sandwich can still hang with teams like Falmouth, for example. You know, the teams are going to meet Wednesday at Gallo. That'll be a really key test for both sides, kind of measuring stick of where they are. Um, it was a bit of a couple of rocky days for Bourne. They had a Kind of a disappointing 5-3 loss to Wareham Carver, a team I think Bourne really expected to beat. Mm-hmm. But they bounced back nicely Sunday, went over old Rochester, kind of get yeah, back on track. For sure. And that completes, and that completes a sweep over uh, former coach Chuck Can- Jan Canarino, who also coached at St. John Paul too. So um, any league win is big, and, and certainly when you can put one that's disappointing like that behind you right away, mm-hmm. I think Bourne was able to do that. Two goals from Max Hess had a really strong performance, so... We'll see where Bourne goes. It's kind of been some highs and lows, but still 5-2-1, and one, I think, can, is Bourne still poised to make a run and, and do something pretty good this year. Definitely. We'll rack up, wrap up Excuse me, with wrestling. <laughs> rack up? Yeah, they're in the weight up. room? They're, they're racking, the weight room? <laughs> yeah, they're racking up wins, sure. So for Barnstable, uh, Joshua Stanley and Michael Stanley, they both looked real good in the Whitman Hansen tournament. They both went 3-1 and one and finished runner-up. Joe Molina, Josh Oliveira both earned third for Barnstable, which also means they go three and one. They just they lose the semifinal and then win the third place game. Uh, so those those are the kids we've talked about. I feel like a lot with this uh, Barnstable team. Obviously, Joe Molina is the transfer from the move in from Texas, right? Right, right. Uh, and then the Stanleys and Josh Oliveira have been pretty consistent for them. Uh, with Nosset, Christian Beer, he was second at the Cohasset Invitational. Uh, including a a 13-0 major decision win in the opener, and then a real nice close win, just 3-2 decision over uh, Joe Donahue uh, from Cohasset, and then he was pinned in the final, but that was still a real nice showing for him. Yeah, Beer is definitely kind of stepping up and being that replacement sort of for Eli Wilson. Mm -hmm. Noss has always kind of had that one, maybe two wrestlers that's kind of stood out from around the rest. And I think Beer's done a nice job filling in in that role. Sandwich... uh, the same kind of ha- ha- could be said. Uh, Paul Cody, I think, has really stepped up and been the guy this year for them. He went 2-0 and at the quad meet over the weekend for them. But you also had Connor Keegan and Tanner Davidson winning their uh, both their matches at the quad as well. Uh, so it's wrestling, you're starting to maybe start eyeing sectionals and things like that. That stuff is Those big tournaments are going to be here sooner than you think. So, you know, you just want to try to be playing, wrestling your best when you get there. Right, and it's kind of a mix this season because you're going to have a lot of dual meets coming up this mm-hmm. week. All Durfee's at Barnstable on Wednesday. Sandwich is at Nosset on Wednesday. And then this weekend, Barnstable is going to be at Weymouth. And then on Friday, Nosset, South Shore, or South Shore Vogue Tech, and Plymouth South are all going to be at Sandwich for another quad meet. And it's really kind of all driving. You mentioned tournaments at Cape Cod Classic, which is also January 19th in mm-hmm. Sandwich. That's one. That's probably the last of the really big tournaments these teams are going to compete in before they get to the sectionals and some of these other postseason matches. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a really good opportunity for those guys to wrestle all those matches in one day and, and see where they go from there. Absolutely. Um, I want to wrap up real quickly, too. Um, you know, you wrote the story the other day about, you know, the Cape and Islands League. I just wanted mm-hmm. to talk real quickly just about that. You know, just, you know, we've talked about it for so long, and it finally feels like it's just almost here. Yep. We're going to have the rest of the winter and the spring to finish out some of these old league competitions but you know just what do you think of some of these moves and and who do you think this really benefits and especially in in this whole thing sure uh i think sandwich is a school that's going to benefit a lot from moving to the cape and islands league i think they uh, certainly in football they have been kind of outmatched by everybody i think uh 
the sandwich Marshfield games have maybe not this year because Marshfield was down, but almost every year up until this year, Marshfield was such a bigger program with some such physically bigger kids. That's not only a competitively imbalanced game, but it's a borderline health concern mm-hmm. uh, to have them playing them. Now, Sandwich might wind up playing Barnstable in football, not this year, but maybe next year. So it's kind of trading out <laughs> one D2 team for another. Uh, but I think that they're a school that generally will benefit from additional Cape and Islands League games. I think in the other sports they play, they'll be able to get more out of playing Cape teams uh, than they were going to get ACL teams. Uh, I think Nosset probably is happy to not have to do so many bus rides over the bridge. Um, I think that's a lot of driving uh, to get to Marshfield, and you got to do it. Tw- they had to do it twice in every sport, basically, mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. I'm sure Marshfield is happy that they're not going to have to go to Nosset, you know, once a year in every sport either. Uh, some of the schools that I think got disadvantaged, I think Falmouth is going to, it's going to hurt them a little bit just because they're, they're still only going to play Barnstable on Thanksgiving. So they have three league games that they'll play during the regular season. And that leaves them four games. They have to find to fill their schedule. They're still going to play Marshfield. That's what coach Derek Almeida told me. So, I don't, you know, they're going to have to find school. I don't know. I, I don't know that the schools that they're going to find are going to be the ones that they really want to be playing. We'll see if that gets a little bit better in two years if Sandwich bumps up to the larger uh, Cape and Islands League. And then with Barnstable, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. They already played DY, so they're just going to play DY right. again. I have some questions about how this is going to affect the volleyball team that plays such a heavily off Cape schedule when they don't have to play league games because their total number of league games is probably going to double. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how much – they're still going to be able to probably get in a Holliston and a Newton North and an Andover and all those Hopkins, teams. Yeah, all those. But it'll probably – it might mean a little bit less off-cape play. Right. I mean, I think the big thing with football you have to remember too is that it goes separately from the other sports. It's all separated statewide by divisions. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the leagues only matter so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, every every team's going to want a league title. Paul Funk said at the end, any league title is special. Yeah, absolutely. He's a DIY football coach. But at the same time, I mean, that doesn't mean that Marshfield still can't play some of these teams once a year, and maybe they go every other year, they rotate. I'm sure they'll still factor into some of these games, but you're right. The fact that they don't have to play twice a year per sport, mm-hmm. I, I think, is is important. So Absolutely. And they were kind of the X factor, I think, in kind of holding up this whole process, especially for some of the yeah. larger schools, to, to kind of form together. Yeah, Marshfield, so the rules are if you want to leave your league, you have to give two years' notice unless the league votes to let you go earlier, which is what happened with Cape Tech, which is going to leave the Cape and Islands League this year after this year for the Mayflower, which they already compete in football, but now they're going to join it in all sports. Um, Marshfield, definitely, the sense I get is that they were having a very hard time finding a conference to join. They still don't have one right now. They're going to be an independent team next year, and then maybe they'll – join the Patriot League, which seems like the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. So they, they were kind of the ones that forced the ACL to stay together for a couple of extra years. But I think Sandwich definitely wanted out, and I think the other schools were kind of – they were okay with it. For me, the thought of a barnstable Falmon Thanksgiving Day game that's for a league championship also, I'm excited for oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because those games are just kind of ceremonial, and the idea of actually having a competitive thing to play for – I think that's pretty cool. Right. And I mean, unless one of the teams is playing for a Super Bowl, then you might have to dilute it a little bit. But yeah. then again, that doesn't mean that it couldn't already be settled. So sure. we'll see how that ends up. So, 
All right. Um, that's just about wrap it up. If you missed any of the live show, you can uh, check out the replay at uh, capecuttimes.com slash capesportsnow. You can also look at our Facebook page at the Cape Cut Times Facebook page. Um, or you can download the podcast on the Apple, Google Play, or any of the Android devices, devices stores, whatever <laughs> whatever you use to download podcasts. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, and you can also find us on Twitter um, at SportsCCT, and I'm also on Twitter personally at Steve underscore Derderian. That's D-E-R-D-E-R-I-A-N. And I'm at Matt Goisman CCT. That's M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. Thanks a lot, and we will see you next week. Yeah, get those shovels out. Snow's coming. <laughs> Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.